Welcome into Season 3, Episode 9 of the 126 Podcast. Today, we have a one-of-a-kind guest with us, and we are very excited to introduce you to him. All right, I am Addison McKelvin. With me, as always, Coach Weaver. Coach O, how y'all doing? I mean, I'm doing great today. I'm pretty excited about this show. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I am too. We, we, uh, this day just keeps getting better. It was stellar this morning. We started with Assistant Coach Academy. You can go check out our website and get information about that. But I uh, had over 100 coaches in that from Mesquite ISD, Forney ISD. And now uh, we get to, as always, have fun on the 126. But this is a pretty unique episode. It is. And I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to you so we can introduce our guest. Well, what about my music? Yeah. It's coming, Coach. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry. I didn't forget yeah. about you. you. Got to start off the right way. Okay. Here's my question for you, Addison. Are you a hugger? Uh. Eh. Eh. Yeah. I, I see know. you as an eh kind of guy. I'm uh, a high fiver. High fiver. I've got yeah. that on my list, Coach O. Uh, I am definitely a hugger. You are, but don't, ha, haven't you been sometimes to meetings or something? You see somebody coming, you're like, you know, a hugger, and you're like, uh oh, here she yeah. comes. Yeah. <laughs> I give him a side hug. Side yeah. hug. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. I, I'm. I'm when I'm giving full love, I'm giving you a, a full-on frontal. Yeah. yeah. Well, some people are huggers and some aren't, right? I'm going to tell you, I'm really not a hugger. I'm a high five. I go with a high five. Addison and I are there. Um, I'm a firm handshake, you know, mm-hmm. eye contact, firm handshake, maybe a pat on the back. Um, not as much of a hugger, but I got to tell you, um, I'll tell myself here. When our guest today spoke to us at convocation this year, um, it's John O'Leary, by the way. I think I don't know if we mentioned that or not. It's pretty exciting. But, no, we haven't yet. That was so, it. okay. Well, here we go. So when John O'Leary spoke to our staff at Convocation, I I felt myself the non-hugger that I am being totally compelled. And we're Coach O down and I are down the track watching. John comes walking down. And he, you know, he's beaming. He's he, he's just so excited to be around our people. And uh, I couldn't help myself. It's like I went up to him and and I had to give him a big hug. And um. So then afterward, you know, we're, we're hanging around, and uh, I wanted to get John's book. I had to borrow some cash from Dr. Terry <laughs> so, so I could do that. I appreciate the loan, Dr. Terry. And um, Coach O and I stood in line and, you know, watched him interact with our staff. We get up there, and doggone it, uh, like this hugger came out of me again. I, I, you know, you just – John is such a neat guy, and his story is so impressive – it, it leaves an impression on you, right? Addison, you know what that's what impressive means. His story has the power to change the way you think and potentially live. So um, in that it offers, I'll use John words, it, listening to his story offers you an inflection point. And maybe somebody listening to this podcast today will be offered an inflection point. So it tell, his telling of his story radically inspired a non-hugger <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to go up and just have to give a hug to a complete stranger. So, all right. So here's, let me give you the intro to Mr. O'Leary. John O'Leary, if you didn't know this, is national best-selling author of On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life, and of In Awe, Rediscover Your Childlike Wonder to Unleash Inspiration, Meaning, and Joy. He is an inspirational speaker who delivers his message of hope to over 50,000 people each year. He's a podcaster extraordinaire. Uh, 
I told him before we started this, mm-hmm. this, this is like this is like an inv- inviting an NBA all-star to come play pickup at the park with us, yeah. right? Um, he's kind of a big deal. He's kind of a big deal. John's live-inspired. He's, he's got a Dirk mindset. Okay. Dirk would do that, right? Yes, Dirk's he would. The NBA. Say yes. John is the, is the podcaster Dirk that would show up and actually show play up. pickup basketball with somebody. Listen, John's live-inspired podcast is near the top of Apple podcast ratings, okay? He's a writer, a speaker, a podcaster, but he's also a change agent. He is a dad, he's a son, he's a brother, he's a friend. Recently, he became a member of the Forney family, right, when he spoke to us at, at our convocation. He's a huge sports fan. This is a, an athletic podcast, uh, but he's got a very powerful story and a message that's so relevant, I think, for our sports community and for all young people today. Um, we want to hear more mm-hmm. of, of his of, – we want to hear John tell us how his words of wisdom can make a, a difference and an impact on lives in – Forney, Texas, America. So, really excited about that. Yes. Um, so, I think it's time to formally introduce our guest. John, how you doing? And well, Addison, Coach Weaver, Coach O, and, and audience. You know, as I'm listening to all that, I'm like, man, who are they going to introduce? Because <laughs> I, I know, like, heck, it is not John O'Leary they're talking about. So, uh, let me add a few more. John is here today through grace only and is honored to be part of this program. So, thank you all for the work that you do. Oh yeah, and we we greatly appreciate you you coming on. We we're we're excited to get into it. Um, so before we get into all the interesting stuff today, we're going to talk a lot about you know dealing with adversity and and how we as a community can inspire our young people um, as they yeah. deal with adversity. Before we get to that, we're going to go to um, an interesting and fun segment that we do every time here, and it's the ozone. Well, all right. So today for the subject spotlight, we're talking spuds. How do you like your taters? Oh, all right. Um, we'll jump over to Coach Weaver first. We're gonna all right. Let, we're going to let John back clean up on this one. Yeah. Um, uh, sling blades of French fried potatoes aside, I like uh, a baked potato. We've said this before, right? I like a big porterhouse steak and a cast iron grill with a baked potato with everything in the refrigerator on it. So okay. I'm I'm definitely a baked potato guy. Um can't beat it. Okay. Well uh, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Is it potatoes? What is it? Al gratin? Is that how you say it? Al gratin. Al gratin. Yeah, the well, cheesy ones. I thought you were gonna go potato or yeah, potato. Because you make fun of <laughs> no. me talking with Tarzan Tarzan. Yeah, so. right. How is it how do you say it? Al gratin. Okay, that's okay. I like them like that. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Cheese, melted cheese. Anytime you put melted cheese on something, I'm into it. Yeah, melted cheese on the baked potato, too. Well, I like sweet potatoes. So I like a loaded sweet Mm -hmm. potato. Uh, I like sweet potato pie, anything sweet potato. So, you know, specifically at Roadhouse, because, you know, they put all that cinnamon on it and Mm -hmm. marshmallows. So that's that's kind of how I like it. That's a that's a East Texas specialty, the sweet potato. Yeah. And I will. Candied yams. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's your girl. That's your girl. Sweet potatoes. So let's go to our guest. John, how do you like your, your potatoes? Man, you guys are making me hungry. So uh, <laughs> it depends on the time of day. If it's morning, you want them next to the eggs and the grits and, and probably cooking a skillet. I like sweet potatoes during the middle part of the day. And at evening, like Addison said, I, I do love all grinded potatoes. There we go. Well, I'll tell you, John, we knew that because we read <laughs> on fire. And I, I see Coach O. She's just a grinning down there at the end of the table. Uh, your story about your favorite meal when you came back from hospital was a great one. That's right. Um, so for those of us who, who haven't read the book yet, we're all going to, 
um, fill us in on the potato story, I guess. Yeah, and to understand my love of potatoes and how I learned to eat them as a nine-year-old, you got to back the train up just a little bit farther. So you're on the phone right now on this podcast with a guy who has no fingers, walks with a limp, and has scars from his neck to his toes after being burned on my entire body. It was 100% burned. It should have absolutely killed me. And yet, and you know, through God's grace and through the medical science, through people showing up, this little guy with no chance goes on through five and a half months of, of hand-to-hand combat in hospital. It was a really difficult time. But eventually, against overwhelming odds, I come home. And then that's the dinner table. They've rebuilt the house. My life is slowly coming back into focus. And my mother made my favorite meal, which was og rod and potatoes. Kind of weird deal right there, Addison, but yeah. that was my favorite meal, all right and potatoes. So the potatoes are in front of me. Life is looking good. The problem was I had no fingers. So from my wheelchair and on this morphine drip and rack with bandages from like now my neck to my toes, I look over to my sister and, you know, Amy's awesome. She lives in Texas. So that tells you something about Amy. Amy is awesome. Even back then she was awesome though. So this little girl grabs a fork. She scoops up some potatoes starts bringing that cheesy goodness toward my mouth. And right before I start to slide that down my throat, my mother says to Amy and to me, Amy, drop the fork, drop the fork. If he's hungry, he's going to feed himself today. And, you know, I know not everybody's able to have hugged me before coach Weaver, but if you have hugged me, you know that John's got no fingers to hug with and no fingers to grab a fork with. And I knew that as a child. So I looked at my mom and I said, mom, I I can't eat. I'll never eat. And she doesn't look at me. She looks at my sister and she goes, Amy, if he's hungry, he's going to feed himself. So I'll make a long story far shorter, but about two hours into this dinner, everybody else is gone. I'm one of six kids. My dad's gone. The dog is gone. My sisters are all gone. My mother's at the head of the table, just kind of visiting with me, but I'm not talking and neither is she. And at the end of the two hours, I remember sandwiching this fork between my fingerless hands, scooping up some cheesy goodness, sliding that those potatoes toward my mouth, eating, and looking at my mother with great hatred. <laughs> but, but the key piece here, coaches and students and athletes and listeners, is this. A little boy who had no ability whatsoever to have any kind of life going forward was eating. You know, like I, I was feeding myself, and there's a lot. It's about far more than recovering from burns. It's about moving into life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I mean, this has got to be one of our most potent ozones yet, right? Oh, yeah, we yeah. talk a lot about food, but we don't talk a lot about resilience and, you know, parenting and all this stuff that comes from this story. But that is, that's awesome. I hadn't heard the potato story, but they were telling me that they were going to bait you into telling it, and I was ready to hear it. Was, it it didn't disappoint. very calculated. Very oh, yeah. calculated yeah. ozone yeah. today, this, this, Right. This was the most uh, premeditated ozone Coach O's had yet. I'll tell you, uh, there are stories all through John's book. John, one thing that strikes me uh, about On Fire is, although it's your story, it's really you telling stories about how mm-hmm. everyone else uh, found ways to support you or make you stronger through the adversity that you experienced. It's, yeah. it's just an amazing book. What, can I just speak to that for a moment. When we first published this book, it's called On Fire. And the, the, the folks who published it out in New York, it's a company called Simon & Schuster. They sent me back a cover. And on the cover of this book, you know, big, beautiful letters that say On Fire. And there's a guy named John O'Leary wearing a suit and a tie, arms crossed, looking at the reader with this very stoic, strong face. 
like, um, you know, if you had to read what the guy's saying on the face, it's like, look what I did. And maybe one day, if you are really lucky, you could also do something, maybe of some consequence in your life, maybe. So I wrote him back and I'm like, hey, guys, did you read the book? Because this book has <laughs> nothing really to do with the author. It has nothing to do with me. Take my picture off the front. I don't want it on the back either. This is about other people. This is about what it looks like to step forward and to serve and to become part of somebody else's miracle. And so then, Coach, when they, they came back out with the book, On Fire now has these, like, smoky, fiery letters. But they're made – it's called tinfoil. It's this foil wrapping on this lettering. And it's made so that when someone picks up the book, they don't see John O'Leary. But if you look closely, you can see yourself. You can see your reflection. And the goal is, ultimately, you can see the possibility of your life to be the star. Not, not, the, not like the hero. Not like that. But to be someone who – because of your life, you've made a difference in someone else's life, which is our calling. No doubt. No doubt. That's really cool. I got to tell you, uh, your mom could coach for us. Oh, without day. a doubt. She's a real one. We would love to have her on our coaching staff, you know. Um, she, she tough would love. Be hated. She would be hated, man. <laughs> the students would hate her. The other coaches would hate her because she demands discipline and accountability. And that's a hard thing to expect from kids, from coaches, from teams, and from ourselves. But my mother – as a, as a young person, you know, she's 40 when she's guiding me through this. But even today, I had dinner with her last night. She expects greatness. Not so much like, hey, did we win? But did you do your best? Did, did, did you do your best? And she just demands it. She's awesome. Yeah, so, I agree. And yeah. I've never met her personally, but <laughs> I think she's pretty awesome, too. You talked in your book about the difference between an, a quick win and a true victory. And um, I think that's what she was after. That's what we asked from our staff. And uh, man, just it's just great stuff. <laughs> it is. Let's get into it. So we're gonna we're gonna take kind of a few key points from your book and break them down, kind of in the in the uh, package of of influencing young people and specifically young athletes, because most of our listeners are parents and coaches. So we just want to talk to them and talk to them about how they can help inspire and, and encourage their kids to, um, you know, really thrive through this adversity, not just get through it. Mm. So, um, first let's talk about just the growth through adversity. I know you talk a lot about that in your book and just, um, kind of what's your, what's your mindset on, on growth and adversity and that relationship between the two. You know, you see it in nature. And as we move from summer and into fall and toward winter, you see slowly death set in. And fortunately in nature, it's not the end of it. It's not the end of the story. We, we know spring is around the corner and summer is yet to come. So the best days are in front of us. But in life, whether that's as a teen, as an athlete, as a parent, as a spouse, as a single person, as a child of God, as a community, uh, you are either growing or you're dying. And, and there is no ambiguity in this. Like there is no, eh, no, John, today I'm just kind of status quo. Uh-uh. If you are status quo, you are slowly dying. If you're status quo in that relationship, in that parenting, as, as you race around the track of life, if you are staying this the same, you are slowly being passed up by life. And so I, I learned this as a child at age nine, that life demands growth and growth can be painful. But in that pain, in that growth, it ultimately speaks and draws you closer toward a more abundant life. And that's not always popular. It's certainly not always what we would desire for ourselves or our loved ones. But it is ultimately the calling of our lives to, to choose a life of, of continual growth. And can you speak to, to your own experience and, and how does failure play into growth 
and and moving on. You know, so there's a lot of, you know, I laugh because one of the failures I made as a person was a failure as a speaker. I, I, I'm an introvert, which might surprise you on this podcast. I'm shy. I don't like the, the bright light. You know, like that, that's not me at all. And, and in fact, when I got out of the hospital, my only desire in life was to never go back into one. I, I never wanted to go back into a hospital. I never wanted to be different than everybody else. I never wanted to be on the main stage with a light on me. I wanted to be wildly ordinary, like gray matter. That's what I desired for my life, which is a weird thing if you think about it. But I think a lot of us desire not just not to set ourselves apart. We just want to be like everybody else, in particular as kids. We, we pretend like we want to be out there, but the reality is we, we want to be accepted. And so as a child, man, I just, I long to be accepted. That's all I really wanted. And at age 28, I'm, I'm just kind of gray matter, quietly doing my own thing. But I got a, a phone call from a little girl and she said, uh, she said, Mr. O'Leary. And I said, oh, I, honey, I think you want my dad. Let me get you his number. <laughs> and she goes, no, Mr. O'Leary, he gave me your number. I called your daddy first. Mr. O'Leary, I heard about your story. Would you share your story of being burned with my school? And, you know, guys, I'd never, I'd never shared my story with anybody, not my college friends, not, not a girlfriend named Beth that I eventually would marry. I hadn't told anybody how I was burned. But something about that little girl's question and her heart behind it, I just I unfortunately uttered out the word, yes, and I'll do it. So I went. A couple of weeks later, I practiced the speech in the mirror for probably 40 hours. I took notes. I stood in front of this class. It wasn't even a class. It was three Girl Scouts. Okay. That, that, that was the enemy I was up against that day. I looked down at my notes the entire time, probably bored those poor girls back to sleep. But that was my first go. It was another failure. And yet it was in the movement to step forward. One of the guys afterwards came up to me and he said, hey, John, I'm a Rotarian here in town. That was beautiful. W- would you share your story with my group? And I said, yeah, brother, sure, man, I'll do that. So I, I went. So, oh, you know, what can go wrong? Just one more time out. And so I said, yes. And then one of those guys was in Kiwanis. And one of those guys was in Chamber of Commerce. One of those guys ran a small school. And he just kept going from there. But each time was a failure. And I, I still, even speaking with Forney, I stuttered. I dangled prepositions. I, I messed up all the time. I fail all the time. But I've learned in life the power of failing forward, of shutting your eyes, having a little bit of faith and taking the next step and then taking the next step and keep learning and doing better and growing and striving, not just to build your life, but to encourage those around you to build yours, uh, to build theirs. John, you, uh, you know, you touch on something. We talk a lot on this podcast when we've, we, we bring coaches, obviously, and student athletes on here. And um, we're, we're continuously looking for a way. Um, you know, to make our programs better. And we look at, at the world of athletics. I know you're a big sports fan, right? Sports is interlaced through your books. And um, so that makes it fun for us because that's the world we live in and that we love. But we look at athletics as a laboratory for growth, right? I mean, obviously your experiences in life are, are so – they're, you know, real and they're um, heart-rendering. And, I, you know, I don't know that someone could, could go through any more adversity – than you went through and, and still be with us and able to tell your story and, and make such an impact on people. But in the world of athletics, we, we try to intentionally design, you know, I mean, right. it is, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a laboratory of adversity. Kids fail and they lose games and sometimes they don't get to play and 
you know, parents have to participate in that. And coaches have to have to exist in that. But it's all about making them better people down the road. Um, Amen. That's exactly right. And I got a bunch of friends who are like Navy SEALs. And in the in that BUDS programming, and, you know, I don't think I'm giving out any uh, trade secrets here, they purposely set up design after design, process after process, day after day, where the guys and the ladies cannot succeed. It's not a matter of like, uh, you know, you guys got to run this in three miles. They can't do it. But they pretend like you've got to or else you're done. And then they've got to figure out as SEALs, if they're going to become SEALs, how do we deal with this adversity? How do we deal with this adversity? We, we weren't successful. How do we do better next time? How do we do better next time? And so we've, we've built now a society that despises failure. But what the greatest leadership organizations of all time and what the great leaders of all time have always known is failure is where the secret sauce originates. That's where the best of our lives can really take shape, find a new foundation, and then we can utilize that to leap forward. And um, I know that, that you're a father. I, I believe you have four kids. Is that correct? That is right. So um, so I'm sure you've had the chance to talk to them whenever they're dealing with, with some sort of failure, whether it be sports or school or anything like that. Um, what would you tell our parents and coaches out there um, that they could do to help kids kind of deal with that, things that people did for you? Right. So the first thing is to not run away from it. And not to, in particular as leaders, so the kids, you got to tell them a little bit of a different story. But in, as we glance into the mirror, I think one of the greatest lessons we can ever learn will never be found in a W. It, it is when we take the L. It is when we get cut from the team. It is, you know, my son, Henry, he's my third born, and we talked about this today. He made the A team. It's a, it's a big deal, man. He's on, he's on the team. And then after the very first practice, uh, they called him aside and they said, you know, Henry, we, we made a bit of a mistake, and you're supposed to be on the B team. And we're still not exactly sure how that went down, but Henry had to put his tail between his legs, step off of that field, walk across the aisle, literally, and join another team. That's painful, and he was complaining about it just this morning as we drove together towards school. And we talk about this thing, honestly. We talk about how, hey, we're going to use this. We're going to use this as an opportunity to make that entire B team even better, Henry, because you're better, because you're part of it because now you're on it and they get to see what success looks like for you and you get to learn from what success looks like from them. And so I, I view the failures in quotes as the opportunity to understand what real life and real success is really all about. I don't, I don't run from it guys. I, I just view it as a gift. And it sounds like you just um, gave Henry those same tools because that could have been gone. That could have gone a whole different direction. Um, well, Coach O, it's ongoing. I mean, I'm, I'm no saint in modeling what I'm talking about today, and I'm certainly no perfect delivery agent for this kind of coaching concept. None of us are. It takes a while to get this right. But like erosion, if you keep beating down the same message lovingly, erosion wears true. And so our job is to continually show for our kids and for our student-athletes. That is awesome. So um, we're going to move on kind of to our next point. I think we hit that one perfectly and, and help some people out there. So uh, you also talk a lot in your book about peer pressure. And we know that students are dealing a lot with peer pressure today, whether it's social media or something we talk about a lot on here, which is compare culture. You know, students constantly comparing yeah. themselves to, to other people. Um, and, and then there's one more point. But first, can you just kind of hit on, on kind of what do you mean by that whenever you're talking about peer pressure and what's the message that you want to get out about that? Well, and I whispered it a little bit when I talked about getting out of the hospital. The, the vision for my life, and I think the vision for many students' lives, 
is to be like everybody else. And if you want to be like everybody else, you're going to be right there in the middle of everything. And if you find yourself by God's kind grace to be in the middle of a phenomenal group, that's a very positive thing. Surrendering to that kind of peer pressure is a good thing. When you try hard, when you care about academics, when you treat people with respect because those around you are treating others with respect, it's a beautiful thing. What a great, what a great opportunity to surrender to peer pressure. The challenge we face in our society is those videos seldom trend. It's the other comments. It's the other videos. It's the stuff that is a little bit more outside the lines. That's the stuff that trends. That's the stuff that gets the views and the likes. And that's the risk of surrendering to that kind of peer pressure. And so when we, when I talk about peer pressure, I talk about being in the average of, of the least common denominator. And as a society, as a school, as a team, that is not a recipe for success. Our job, you know, as Abraham Lincoln would say, is to call out the better angels of ourselves to really show up in a mighty way when it is unpopular, when it is frowned upon, because we know that it's the right thing to do right now in any given set of circumstances, in any given moment, whether it's popular or not. And so I'm, I, I love talking about peer pressure because I think it gives us an opportunity to do things, to coach in a way, to play a game, to practice differently than everybody else. And that allows us to set ourselves apart, to be different, and to show others what real success looks like. A great, great piece of athletics is trying to get – we don't want our kids to have a place to hide, right? We want them to be able to show who they are and, and their why uh, on the court, on the field, in practice, in every setting. Um, I thought you made a great point in your book, John, when you – know, obviously, your, On Fire was published in 2017, right? So this is pre-pandemic. And, but you talked about that, um, you know, where you fit in is, is a universal issue. It's, it's people wear masks, you know. Kids definitely do that. Um, we never outgrow that. But mm-hmm. the point you made was the only comparison that really matters when, when you're whether you're hiding, you know, or you're trying to compare yeah. yourself to everybody else or stay on the down low. The only comparison that really matters is the one with who you are, who you were, and and who you can become. And mm-hmm. um, that's a pretty powerful message for a student athlete, I think. You know, and I'm feeling that shamelessly from a pastor of ours about six years ago, and. For me, now even longer ago than that, but it, it was um, a reading on on the talent, and whether you're given one, three, or five talents, the, the, the invitation is to double X, to utilize whatever you've got, and no excuses here. If, if you run the forty in seventeen seconds, awesome. Try next time to run it in sixteen point eight, man. You, the competition's not against the supreme athlete; it's against yourself. Yeah. And so this pastor was talking about, hey, it doesn't matter what you got. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And I'm sitting there in church, probably the back row of church, wearing my mask, not the figurative one, but the one we all hide from, from time to time. We all hide behind. And I remember thinking, well, God, I've, I've only got one talent. I've only, I've always known I've only had one talent. And then this guy in front of us that day just convicted us. But hey, stop making the wrong comparison, not to others, but to yourself. And so it was that message that day about who are you comparing yourself to and that little third grade girl invited me to speak that allowed me to finally guys and ladies remove the mask and have the only comparison that ultimately matters if you've got one talent john double it man Uh, look in the mirror identify where you were yesterday and who you think you can become tomorrow and try to get it to two and if you can get it to to two wow that's a big deal can you get the four can you touch more lives to yours can you raise a worthy household can you change society for good one life at a time and who among us can say no who among us can say, no, I'm not that influential? Because I think we all have an opportunity to reach up or reach down to somebody and make a difference. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, we, we talk, we talk about that a lot with students. I was just talking to my students the other day about how when we, and we talked to um, Stephen Mackey last week, our our speaker last week was talking about how people compare themselves. They were comparing themselves to Princess Diana or Mother Teresa Teresa and how Mother Teresa was doing things all of us could do. And Princess Diana was doing things that very few of us would ever get to do. I believe he said they died in the same week. Same week, five days apart. But everybody was focused on Princess Di. That's who they want to emulate. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet right. they never can is what right. Stephen's point you, was. You're not going to be a princess. Anybody right. can, can follow, uh, you know, the serp, the heart of the servant. Anybody right. can have that. Right. It's a no talent skill. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a great point. All right. Awesome. So John, let's shift to choice a little bit. Cause yep. this is also a big theme in your book. And you say that every, literally everything that happens to you, right. Can be used for good. Um, mm. there's a flip side to that coin though, right? You, you, you have to make a choice every set of circumstances you get, it's either going to propel you forward if you make the appropriate choice or um, it's going to send you the other direction. Yes. Um, I got, I want to give an example and look, I, you know, like I said, your book is full of so many, so many stories uh, that are poignant and um, we don't have time to share them all. You know I mean? That's the whole point is for somebody to read the book and, and learn about the life of John O'Leary and, and how it can be <laughs> applicable in their own. But after the fire, right, you're a nine year old, um, you're in the front yard in your sister's arms and mm. you told her you wanted to die. You want her, just kill me. Right. Um, in that moment, that's, yeah. that's what's in your mind in that moment. But what does your sister say? <laughs> you know, and when you, I, I, I read a guy named Henry Nowen. Nowen's a theologian and, uh, I think he's from Europe and he lived in Canada and, He's, a, he's more of a Mother Teresa than a princess guy. Near the end of his life, this, this theologian, big-time scholar, spent his life working with, with adults with special needs. And there's not a more difficult profession than loving folks who can't feed themselves and can't change their own pants. And, like, this, this guy could have been teaching at any university, anywhere in the world, on the lecture circuit, and he's changing adult pampers as, a, as an older guy. So that I love him. But what I love most about him is he writes so vulnerably about himself that you like feel bad for him. And you're like, Oh, Henry, you're better than that, man. Don't, don't share that secret. And while you're saying that maybe to yourself, you're turning the page, you're turning the page, you're like, pouring through this book, trying to take the best of what he's sharing. And so I've always connected with this idea of, of not putting on airs of being really authentic in who you are and who you are. So, uh, man, I write about things that I don't like talking about, you know, suicide, pain, being in the front yard of a burning house that you caused that pain, having a dad with Parkinson's who's slowly dying and watching him fade. Oh, that's pain. It's all bad. And yet it's all being redeemed for good. And so I, I share these stories, not because I, I like to, but I think that's where the good stuff of life happens. And I think it allows the rest of us to connect with it. Maybe you haven't been burned but you've been through steering experiences and maybe you haven't been in the front yard of your house naked and skinless and watching your house burn, but you've been to that tipping point where you're like, man, is life better without me? Is life, is it better without me? Can I withstand this storm? We've all been there. We may not frequently acknowledge it, but we've been there. And if not you, uh, according to research, 62% of your students have, it is rampant. It is a pandemic and it's time we talk about it. Yeah, And it's time we talk about the, the alternative choice of life. Like this, this is a worthy decision to make too. So in that front yard that day, I'm burned. I'm watching the house burn down. I'm watching the smoke come through the windows and the doors. I'm feeling the pain. 
not only of a physical pain of having 100% of my body burned, literally, but the emotional pain of knowing I caused this and I caused the collateral damage to everybody else. So I said to my sister, Amy, just kill me. You know, go back into this house and get a knife and kill me. And I meant it at the time. And this little brave 11 year old pulls me even closer, <laughs> holding on to me tight. And she says to me, John, shut up. Shut up. What is wrong with you? Have faith and fight. The best is yet to come. And then I remember I started uttering another word, like how she's wrong. And she says, shut up, shut up, have faith and fight. The best is yet to come. And this little brave girl would see my dad that night in the emergency room. I think I wrote about this, but maybe not. She said to my dad, dad, uh, I held on to John today and he felt like he was going to turn into ashes in front of me. And then she said, and daddy, I felt like I was burning my arms and my chest through my nightgown. Every time I held on to him, I felt like I was burning myself. And there was this, this pause in the conversation. And, and then she added, but dad, I never let go. I never let go of John until the ambulance showed up. I never let go. And I think in a society where we have just tolerated hatred and racism and indifference, and we build higher walls, not, not only at the southern part of the Texas border. I mean, we build walls in our neighborhood, man. We build walls in our family. Amy challenges us to step in and to hold on. And even if you get burned a little bit, maybe life isn't about you. You know, you, you may not learn this from your parents because they tell you life's all about you, Jimmy. Get, get the medal, man. Get into the right school, buddy. But what if they're wrong? <laughs> What if life actually has nothing to do with your progress and your development and your achievement and your awards and everything to do with how you invest yourself fully into those around you? And what if in that, like Mother Teresa, that's your example. What if in that, that's when we become a saint? That's when we change the world for good. Mm -hmm. No, you were talking about challenges and it made me think about a part in your book uh, when you're, I think you're in the hospital and your mom sees you for the first time and you ask her, um, are you going to die? And, uh, you know, she's a real one. Her response was, do you want to die? Totally. I mean, and in that moment, like, that it's your choice to live. We're not going to talk about dying. We're talking about living. That's how I took that. It's just a moment that stuck out to me, um, uh, among others. In you're a book. mom, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. you're representing the moms at the table. Uh, that right. tough love. Yeah. I, of course, you you feel that. I, you know, and I'm looking at it. In cha chapter seven, when he's talking about when his dad comes into the to the hospital room for the first time and says, "I'm so proud of you, John. I love you so much." Right? Mm. It, there, that's the. I'm connecting with that mm -hmm. because I'm that's a right. dad of two boys. But there's the the key to all of it. I think, and and this is the beauty and the magic of your message, John. Is it takes all those just like your sister said. Have faith and fight. You have to have faith, and you have to have people around you that are speaking positively into your life and supporting you. Those are two keys to everything. Yes, and the cool thing about life is coaching, education, parenting, being a phenomenal citizen. It's yes, and. So we need the positivity. We need the togetherness. We need the pat on the back and the, you know, the sweet little, hey, we, we can bounce forward from this. And. We need the accountability yeah. and we need the movement toward excellence. 
and we need the desire. Hey, you've got to own your piece of it. And so it is the yes. And it's, it's my dad's tender embrace of, I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. I don't care about the house burning down. We'll, we'll rebuild that, John. That's beautiful. And we need that feminine and masculine approach. My mom now stepping in and saying, uh, do you want to die? Your choice, not mine. I, I have a podcast, as you all mentioned a moment ago, and we interviewed a guy who leads the most successful uh, alcoholic recovery group in the country, apparently. They've got like a 74% recovery rate. So I asked him, like, well, dude, how is that possible? How do you do that? And he said, before the guys come into his clinic, he asked them one question. I said, what, what's the question? And the question is, have you had enough? Have you had enough? You know, is your marriage, is it far enough down? Are your finances upside down enough? Are you sick of waking up with a hangover? Are you sick of wondering where Friday's paycheck is going to go? Have you had enough? And if the answer is like, oh, I don't know, then get out of here. You're not ready. And if they're like, yeah, dude, I've, I've had enough. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Then he's like, come on, I'll, I'll walk with you. But this is going to be hard, but you're not alone. And so we as individuals, we as teams, coaches, students, parents, society, I, I think when we can look in the mirror and look at Democrats and Republicans, believers, non-believers, black, white, you, you pick it all and say, have we had enough? Can we figure out together the next right step? That's when we are going to collectively take the next right step. And until then, we're just going to keep meandering toward, <laughs> toward tomorrow sort of unmoored and sort of non-optimistic about where this thing is all heading. Um, I've got one more kind of key point that I've written down from your book um, that, I, that I just want you to speak into a little bit, and that's the inflection points. You talked about that. Kind of just define that for us and tell us kind of what the, why, why you chose to include that in the book. Right. I, so I, you know, I said, you write something like five years ago and then you forget that you wrote something five years ago that you probably should be utilizing and sharing today as a dad, as a husband, as a son, as a speaker. Uh, I, I seldom use the term now inflection point. Instead, it's more like innate. I just, I just see it everywhere. Inflection point is a moment in time that shows up in all of our lives and we can look back on it as the moment that changed everything. It, it's, it's that phone call. It's when you look down to, to text the person back and then you bumped into the car in front of you, like these massive inflection points. But where we sometimes get it wrong is we think inflection points are always the big stuff. Frequently, so commonly, the, the biggest inflection points aren't the ones we recognize in real time. It's, it's the kind word a coach offers to a student athlete at the end of a difficult day that she doesn't even remember. It's just like part of it. It's just what you do. It's who you are, Coach O. And then you move on with your day. And then 20 years later at the 20th reunion, the, the class of 2022 comes back and they're like, hey, Coach O, I got to tell you, I was done. You, you remember that day back in October 2021? And you're, you're like, no, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. We, we lost that, that game, that practice. I just broke it up with my boyfriend. And you came over to me. You put your arm around me. You don't even remember it. But for that student athlete, it was the inflection point. When you look back at your roles of being sons and daughters, it's not usually Christmas or the birthday party or the graduation. Those are big moments. But the big inflection points are those little moments that added up over time, form us into who we are ultimately called to become. So I, I just remind our individuals, our listeners who are, uh, if I haven't yet rocked you to sleep, maybe I will before we get to the finish line. Uh, yeah, the big inflection points will come. You'll recognize them when that phone call rings. Or when she says the words back to you, I do. Or when you get the diploma. Or when they hand you the trophy. Or you hang the state banner. The big inflection points. But also, 
cherish the little ones. That they're around us all day long. And our opportunity, you mentioned this a moment ago, Coach, is you can't always choose the path you walk in life, but you can always choose the manner in which you walk it. You get to decide in every given set of circumstances how you move forward. And, and I would just encourage you not to give that, give that choice away to an opposing team or to a political party or to the media or to anybody else. Like you get the final say on that one. Good stuff. That's good mm-hmm. advice. Hey, I got another question for you too, John. What's a billiken? <laughs> <laughs> it is a mighty mascot, man, representing St. Louis University and not to be messed with. So, you know, Texas Longhorns and Raiders and everybody else out there, don't mess. No, not with Texas. With St. Louis University, baby. We got the billiken. <laughs> no one really knows for sure what it is, but I've been told it's like a good luck charm in Alaska. Why it represents a Jesuit school off the Mississippi River in Missouri is beyond me, but that's that's my mascot growing up. Now, I happen to know Coach O has a, sort of a Billiken story, don't you? Yes, and th- listen, this was not planned. This just no. happened to come up in the office yeah. yesterday. I'm talking to them. We're, I think we're talking about just weather. And um, I was like, well, I almost went to St. Louis University, and I was like, have you guys ever heard of a Billiken? And um, – Coach Weaver and Stormy were like, uh, no, what, what, is that real? Does that really exist? I said, y'all, I promise. I almost played basketball at St. Louis University for Coach Allen. But when I stepped, oh, yeah. off, I stepped off the plane, I stepped out of the airport, it was January, and I felt like there was dirt in my nose. And I said, there's dirt in my nose. And she said, oh, no, that's just your snot freezing. We'll get you a coat. <laughs> and I – that, hey – I wasn't interested. I, I'm a tropical people. I, I, it was too cold, and I did not go. But but the campus was beautiful, uh, and I was I was very close to to signing with St. Louis University. Hey, Coach O, it's our loss. The mistake they made is to bring you to a midwestern city in January. <laughs> right. You know, you, you you take them to Bismarck in late spring, and you're like, oh, it's beautiful like this all the time in May. And you, yeah. you don't let them know that January is around the corner, and it's nine months of darkness here. So well, and let me I, tell, blame, let, I blame Coach for bringing you up in January. Well, and let me tell you another one, and this is a true story. My host took me to the movies, and the movie that she took me to see was Alive. So for the, you people that don't know what Alive is, just go look it up. Are you sure they really wanted you to come to say? <laughs> <I mean, laughs> they offered you, and then they were like, oh, crap, we, we messed up the budget. We don't have that many scholarships. Yeah. Like, scare her go off. take her to Alive in yeah, January. Yeah. Yeah, so. She gets on the first plane back to Texas. It, 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 I agree. It's our gain, uh, John. Sounds like we've got uh, one of your sisters, your sister down here. Uh, that's good. Yeah. Maybe we can go to work on you. I know you're a, a big St. Louis fan. Uh, you got you talk about baseball and hockey, and um, it's just cool to hear you talk about sports and, and being a hometown sports fan. You know, and I, I do love sports, but I love sports more than, you know, I might get in trouble for this. I'm not a scoreboard watcher. I like the journey. I like the camaraderie that it breeds, and I like the leadership principles you can live outside the lines. I think that is the gift of sports, and in particular youth sports. Many of our scholar athletes are not going to go on to play St. Louis University's Billikens. Some of them will, Coach O, but for the most part, <laughs> it's going to be what they learn through our coaching that makes them phenomenal pastors and business owners and nurses and teachers and single people and spouses and parents and servants. And th- that <laughs> that's why my kids play sports. 
I'm not foolish enough to know that the O'Leary Gene Pool is going to get these kids into the NBA. You know, they're going to be way about a buck twenty finishing high school and be about five ten. So we're, we're not going to we're not going to be popping threes down for the Dallas Mavs. But I am also not foolish enough to know that in in winning together and in losing together, that there's not lessons that are trained within you that you can apply long after your sports career is over. Mm-hmm. I, I heard an interesting story that I'll just share real quick. It was. Troy Aikman was was talking to his daughter who had recently um, she had some sort of failure in, involved in her sport. She was playing high school sports and something happened and she was real upset and he was trying to kind of console her and and he was kind of getting on to her a little bit about how she wasn't working real hard at her sport and just complaining a lot and and they were walking on the street and he noticed that he was walking by himself and he turned around and she was just standing there with her head down. And he said, "What's wrong?" And she said, Dad, I'm I'm not going to be a professional athlete, and he started laughing. He's like, "I know you're not. Like, <laughs> trust me, I know you're not going to be a professional athlete." He's like, "But you're going to be something, and you're going to have to work right. hard at it." And yeah. that's that that's why he had his kids in sports. And you know, that's just funny. That's what I thought of whenever you said you knew that yours aren't aren't going to the pros. I, same for me. I know none of my kids are going to be. I haven't athletes. broken it to mine yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know they're not. Maybe they're not listening. They still think they yeah. are. Uh, but you're so right about that. Who knows? They, they. I guess they have a shot. You know, keep keep working. We may hit that late growth spurt or something. Yeah. Um, what? And unfortunately, for a moment, occasionally professional teams will bring in John O'Leary to speak to them, and you know, it's kind of a bait and switch. Actually, when they bring me in, I believe they're going to get. They think they're going to get more of the mindset of success, and we talk a bit about that. But what I really pour into these guys and ladies is the opportunity they have outside the lines to influence lives in profound ways. I, I think a, a winning team in Dallas or in Forney or in St. Louis, you know, that's, we, we, we remember that. There's no doubt about it. But what they do when they visit kids in the hospital or what they do when they show up at a prison or what they do when they go buy a, a home for retired elders, that is such phenomenal work it goes viral and it has eternal consequences mm-hmm. so uh yeah i try to get these guys to win but i just try to get them to redefine what what winning looks like in, in leveraging their career yeah that's that's a i mean that's a great word for them for sure i know that as a kid every time i ever even saw a professional athlete it was kind of a moment of like awe and 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 i was paying attention to everything they were doing so for them to turn and use that for for good is is very impactful i do have a question so you're a st louis guy um what is your nfl team now what do you do now that the the rams are in la again you know we, we usually start drinking around midnight stop <laughs> Monday morning early in time for work. That's fruit punch. He's drinking fruit, fruit punch, guys. Fruit punch out there. <laughs> Just for you. That's right. Fruit punch for those of you who are now turning off your podcast radio. <laughs> you know, the, the reality is that it's going to be a, a totally transparent. That left a bad taste in our mouth. So yeah. the NFL had a rule that you are not allowed to leave if the stadium is being built. And we've passed all the funding and secured us with the community and all this other stuff. We, we jumped through all the hurdles. And then in the middle of the night, the owner said, no, we're leaving. And not only did they leave, but they kind of kicked us several times on the way out of Dodge. And so it was disappointing to see how it was done. And you recognize it's a business decision. It's a business decision. So uh, I get the business decision. As far as what I do now, my boy, Patrick, loves the Detroit Lions. Oh. They are now 0-4. So he and I are convinced they are the best 0-4 team of all time. <laughs> I think they've, they've lost by like a total of 11 points. Yep. They've dinged the field goal on, on two times. Like, they've been so close to victory. 
Oh yeah, so and they they had it. They had oh, it. Man. And Justin Tucker hit a 66-yard field goal off of the crossbar. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So we, we are optimistic that they are now the worst or the best 0-4 team. They're about to turn this thing around, and they're setting themselves up for success. So whether your team leaves or whether your current team is 0-4, there's lessons in all mm-hmm. of this that can, that can be applied in life. Well, it's a good thing that you are who you are and do what you do for a living because I think if your son sticks with the Lions, he's going to need you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to need some support. And and we actually, as a Cowboys fan, we need that too. I mean, I, I my entire life the Cowboys have been so disappointing. So, you know, at least the Lions fans kind of know what they're getting into. Cowboys fans are sold a lie at the beginning of every year. But we're feeling <laughs> good right now. And buy it. Not yes. that oh, sold we, we buy it wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well, at least you got a at least you got a team to tell you a lie now. My 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 girlfriend lives in California in a new house, and uh, and it's a big house, and there's a lot of people watching her now. And it's, <laughs> the Los Angeles Rams have achieved a whole new level of success that mm-hmm. they did not aspire to in St. Louis. Hey, here's something a little uh, a little quirky thing. You know, some people say quirky, and then there's some people say eccentric. Some might say crazy. It just depends on perspective. We're but different. We're different. In our office, one thing we do for the 126 podcast is we've got a whole, we've got hat row, right? So we've got um, our, all of our caps, our little, you know, advertising our podcast, our one-offs. They all look different. We don't have 30 caps of the same style. We've got 30 different styles of singles. And so we That's let cool. our guests come in and choose their 126 cap or hat. Uh, we've got some variety. And... You're obviously not with us, John, so you're not going to be able to go into our office and choose your cap. But I do think this was meant to be because some months ago, whenever it was, we happened to have a bright red one. Now, by the way, we name all our caps, okay? (laughs) Maybe this is the most eccentric or quirky or crazy part, but each one of them gets its own name. This one happens to be named Ozzy. (laughs) And I think maybe it was meant for John O'Leary, so we're going to have to send you a 126 cap named Ozzy. You know what? Here, here's what I would love. Keep Ozzy. We, we got a couple Ozzy's floating around. I would love at some point, whether it's in the next week or next time I get to see you live, I would love a Forney hat, man. Okay. Oh, yeah, of, we can do that. That's even better. I, I, I love your superintendent. I love your community. I love my time with you. I love the fact that you are master builder, builders touching kids' lives for eternity. You're making a big difference down there. You're growing like oaks you're growing fast but you're growing strong yes sir and so um i want to be reminded of of what real growth looks like so i love cardinal baseball i love ozzy as a human and as a ball player <laughs> but i got an ozzy hat i would love a forney hat got there you, you go. and got it. we whenever you talked about the billikens we talk about this a lot i love um unique mascots and we have we have one that's pretty normal. We have the Falcons of North Forney, but but our, our original school, Forney, is the Jackrabbit. So that's another unique mascot. But yep. I love that that St. Louis is the Billikens because I run the the big video board up at the stadium and nine out of ten mascots fit into one of four categories. And they are <laughs> a bird a bird of prey, a a big cat, of some variation of a pirate. Or a bulldog, and that's it. And our entire district <laughs> is every one of those. Every team fits that's one really of those. Funny. Yeah, yeah. So Billikens definitely doesn't fit any of them. <laughs> a, a good luck doll does not fit any of them. So that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm an SEC guy, being a Mizzou guy, and, and uh, 
you know, it's it, every weekend it's the Tigers versus the Tigers. Then you got to look ahead yeah. to see, well, what, which Tiger is playing which Tiger. But it's <laughs> every single mascot is a Tiger mm-hmm. in the SEC. It is. There's a bunch of them. Um, well, yeah, John, look. Uh, I got to say this, we're, we're getting close to wrapping up our time here, but you say that um, we should say yes to as many opportunities as we can, right? And uh, just like you said yes the first time the, the, to speak to the Girl Scout troop, all the hundreds of times in between, I just want to tell you thank you for saying yes to Coach O and, and for being on the 126 podcast. It may be a, it's, it's a small thing to you. It is not. I want you to know that we know you're a big deal, right? This is a big deal to us. And um, – Anyway, maybe it'll be an inflection point for some people that listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. I do think listening to you and, and your insight today has been really special. So I, I can assure you we will not forget it. We thank you very much. Well, coaches, I remember both of the hugs you, you laid on me. <laughs> a, a sweaty man. It, it wasn't that hot the day we met in August. But when you're on the stage in the sun, beaming down and 1,500 teachers looking at you, uh, I was a sweaty mess by the end of it. And not everybody had the audacity to give me a big old hug, but both of you did. I, I remember it, and I remember Coach O specifically came over and said, I run a podcast. I want you on. I did say yes. And uh, I try to say yes all the time, and most of the time people don't follow up. So for me, this is a lesson not so much on my yes, but on the power of, of living into a commitment. And so for those of us out there right now listening, the commitments you make, be bold enough to follow through, whatever that is. You want to change the world. It may not be in the next election. It might be in the way you show up today and the way you make a commitment and then follow through on that. So be like, don't be like John O. Be like Tocho and let, let your yes be yes. Well, I appreciate you, my friend. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you, Coach. Thank you for what you do, John O'Leary. We, yep. we appreciate it in Forney ISD. And um, we, we look forward to watching you continue to do all the great stuff you're doing in the world and for us and our coaches to do our little part right here in our world. And Forney, that is John O'Leary again. We we thank you so much for your time. And uh, everybody check out not only On Fire, but the new book, In All. Um, I'm sure you can get that wherever books are sold. So y'all check that out and uh, and see what John is all about in a little bit more detail. Um, for the 126, that is all the time that we have today. We will talk to you next week.